Well, during our trip back to Vancouver last month, our friend Carmen shared a story about her aunt and uncle who live in Manhattan. She's given me permission to share the story with you. As new immigrants to America many years ago, they've learned some frugal habits. Her aunt found creative ways to collect and store things in her house. She would collect years and years of, of New York Times newspapers and pile them around the house, perhaps for future reading. She also would not deposit all of her money into the savings account at the bank. Instead, she would hide it in different parts of the house, like these newspaper piles. And you can guess maybe where this is going. So her uncle one day decided that he had enough of these newspaper piles and wanted to clear them out of the house. And so he tossed them all. One problem was that she had forgotten to tell him that she had hidden this money in all these newspaper piles throughout the house. Now, this wouldn't be a problem if you made my income, you know, like 20 bucks here, 50 bucks here, 100 bucks there. But this was hundreds and thousands, or hundreds, uh, not just $100 bills, there's thousands and ten thousands of dollars hidden in these newspaper piles. You see, uh, when they had first moved to Manhattan, uh, they, they began to purchase apartments in the bad parts of Chinatown in the 70s, but now have become, you know, the trendy places like Soho and Tribeca. And so they were landlords of all these apartments and had collected rent and hidden rent money in all these newspaper piles, forgetting to tell her husband about where she stored the rent collected had become a costly mistake for them. You know, our forgetfulness can be costly, but it's often easy to deal with. We can set up reminders for ourselves, we can use these tools, and we can communicate, perhaps, with those that we care about so that we don't forget these important things. Now, some of our forgetfulness is costly material. Sometimes our forgetfulness causes strain to our relationships, like forgetting a loved one's birthday or anniversary when it's very important to them. Today, I want to talk about the costliness of spiritual forgetfulness. And what if this kind of forgetfulness is actually deadly? Now, we're in the final week of our summer sermon series called People of the Book, where we've been walking through the lectionary readings, and the lectionary is a structured reading of Scripture, and allowed the, these readings to speak to us in ways that we would not expect if we were just choosing Scriptures for ourselves. Next week, we're going to begin a short series entitled uh, Living Right Side Up in an Upside-Down World from the Book of Daniel. And we're going to look at how do we live a life of character and of integrity and of leadership in a world that seems to reward uh, people who don't embody those qualities. In today's lectionary readings, back to today's message, we're going to look at one form of forgetfulness that is deadly. But we can also see how remembering well leads to a life of blessing not only for ourselves, but for the world around us. So we're going to walk through this in three steps. One is deadly forgetfulness. The second is blessed remembering. And the third is blessing others in remembering well. Now the first reading was from the book of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah came from a small town, and he served in a, uh, in a small tribe, and most likely came from this despised priestly lineage. Not much to write about. At a time when Jude Jeremiah ministered, Israel was in political tumult. Between the fall of the Assyrian Empire and, and the rise of the Babylonian Empire, he had witnessed multiple deportations of his countrymen to Babylon. And he witnessed the destruction of the temple, which was the center of Jewish life and faith. 
His messages of repentance, though, were not well received. He was despised by his hometown. In fact, we're told in the book of Jeremiah that only two people actually ever listened to him, the scribe and one other person. And he ended up dying in Egypt, far away from his homeland. He was a forgotten prophet to Israel with a message that was forgotten by the people who had forgotten who their God was. And the consequences were deadly. Israel was found guilty of being an unfaithful covenant partner with the living God. They were guilty of being a faithless spouse. In Jeremiah verse two, uh, chapter two, verse five to seven, we're, we're told that they had forgotten who they had been partnered to, and who they had been part, uh, who had been partnered to them. They had forgotten in verse six who had delivered them from Egyptian slavery. In verse seven, we're told that they had forgotten who had brought them out of, into the promised land, a place where they could settle. Throughout this passage, there's a sense of forgetfulness on the part of the Israelites with this repeated question. Where is the Lord? In verse 6, we're told the people did not ask, where is the Lord? Even the priests, in verse 8, did not ask. They were the ones leading the people, and they did not ask, where is the Lord? They had forgotten God. In their forgetfulness, Jeremiah charges Israel with two key sins that convey this deadliness of their forgetfulness. In verse 13, the very last verse in the passage, God charges Israel that they had forsaken God and they had dug their own cisterns. And we'll explain that in just a moment. Israel had forgotten God, their source of life and security. And instead, they had tried to form their own life and security by themselves on their own terms. Now, in the ancient world, people drew from three sources of water. One was from a living spring that burst out from the ground. If you happen to crack at it and water was coming out from the ground, fresh living water. The second source would be water that you would dig down into the water table to get to, well water. And the third source of water was collected by cisterns, which are basically muddy pits that you would put beside your building or beside uh, a place where water drains and you would just collect runoff water. And essentially what Israel was doing was they were building their own cisterns, forgetting God, and as a source of living water and choosing to form collection of the worst source of water for themselves. The idea of forsaking God and forgetting him continues throughout Jeremiah, but it's also found throughout scripture, especially in the Psalms. We heard in Psalm 81, read, where the psalmist reminds us that God alone is the one who is meant to be our satisfaction. In fact, the Lord God is not only living water, as, as the psalmist describes in Psalm 81, but he describes that God is like honey from a rock that would satisfy you. He's better than water. He's ta- full of taste and flavor. But God's people would not listen. They would forget God, and they would be given over to their stubborn hearts and follow their own devices, in verse 12. As such, they would be given over to their enemies. Now, Israel's forgetfulness would be deadly. They would lose their land and their livelihood and their security to their enemies, both for which were significant for Israel's sense of identity. Now, our enemies today may not be the neighbors warring over your property lines, or maybe that's your problem, but most of us aren't facing those kinds of problems. We face a different kind of threat to our security. 
Last year, Chris Gertzky was touring in Switzerland for the first time and decided to try hang gliding on the very first day of their vacation. And you may have heard this story. As he stepped off the launch pad with his instructor, he realized something very important. The instructor had forgotten to attach his safety harness together with his. So you see that little yellow dot. So he's hanging there. For two minutes and 14 seconds, Chris is trying to hold on for dear life while the instructor is trying to descend as fast as possible into the mountain valley before Chris, is lose, Chris loses strength and lets go. Chris ended up surviving, but not without breaking his wrist from the fall and tearing his, mus his bicep muscles from gripping on the whole two minutes. You know, like forgetting to be tethered to the instructor resulted in this potentially deadly uh, result for Chris. Our forgetfulness with God can have even more significant consequences. The consequences of forgetting God aren't just material or after death. Forgetting God is deadly to our sense of identity and our sense of security even now. What we remember is formative to who we think we are. At a very superficial level, if you've ever, you know, forgotten where you put your phone or you forgot where you put your keys, you feel like, oh man, I'm so dumb. Why, why can't I remember th simple things like that? But at a more significant and deeper level, if we experience memory loss because of an injury or because of mental health or because of age, that can be deeply shaking to who we believe ourselves to be. In the 17th century, John Locke was a philosopher and was one of the first people to articulate this idea of your consciousness uh, and your self-identity being a thing in itself. See, up until Locke, humans never conceived of themselves as having some self-determined identity. One of the products of the Enlightenment is that humans began to envision them, their sense of selves by themselves. That, so Descartes' uh, quote, I think, therefore I am, is, a, is, is an example of that. A person's sense of self was disconnected from any grand story or, or culture or tradition that was unfolding in the world around them. Each person could determine who they were by themselves. So one of the most crucial enemies to our sense of well-being is not enemies occupying the land like the Israelites, but actually it's our sense of self defined apart from the living God and the story that he's written, writing in history. And that can be deadly. We become like the people we spend the most time with. We become like the one we remember. One of our elders, Kurt Thompson, has an insightful saying from his book, The Soul of Shame. He says, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. If you pay attention to your sexual desires and attractions, then your identity begins to be formed by those attractions. If you're a, a, you're paying attention to money and material possessions, then your identity begins to be defined by money and possessions. If you are paying attention to what you're hungering for, food and your pleasures, then your identity is formed by those desires. If you pay attention to politics and social issues in the world, then your identity begins to be formed by those opinions and political leanings and the groups that you associate with. To pay attention to those things is not wrong in themselves, but to pay attention to them while forsaking God can be deadly. Think about those things that I just listed. 
They often show up in our social media feeds, like they're what we like or that what we push the heart button for. Now, if you're active with your social media account, or maybe you're just active in journaling, what do you find yourself recalling and remembering from the day? What do your posts look like as you go through your feed? Maybe it's a great vacation, a great meal that you enjoyed, a good friend that you shared some time with, or you remember a meaningful article that you shared. Those images and and thoughts form us as they inform our stories. And we now have algorithms that actually form our stories for us when we go through social media. They inform what we look forward to. In Psalm 112 that Sue read off earlier, it starts off with this bold declaration, blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his command. There's blessing for those who trust and fear the Lord. And this idea of fearing God and trusting God is just another way of saying remember the Lord. And it's in remembering the Lord that leads to blessing. The psalmist doesn't seem to be wagging his finger with the tone of, oh, you better be listening to this, buddy, or you're going to get it. There's a sense of joy in trusting God and remembering and walking in his ways. And in doing so, in this remembering of the Lord, we become more like the one who created us. There's this tone of delight in the psalmist as the psalmist continues in remembering the Lord in every part of the psalmist's life. Those who remember and trust the Lord will be mighty in the land. They will be blessed. They will experience wealth and riches. They will see righteousness that endures forever. The land will be a land of justice, free of oppression. There will be no fear of bad news. Doesn't that sound like a decent life, if not a great life? The point of remembering the Lord isn't to get all those blessings, though. The blessings are a byproduct of remembering who gives life because we become more like the living God who sets things right in this world, who gives hope in dark situations, who, um, uh, who, who helps us in our suffering. The blessings are a byproduct of being this faithful image bearer of the living God. When we remember the Lord and ask, where is the Lord in this course of our lives, we have an opportunity to draw from the source of that blessing and, and of all things good. Unfortunately, as good as our intentions are, we may find ourselves asking, where are the likes? Who's pushing the button to affirm me on social media instead of asking, where is the Lord in my life? If we're able to record what we remember during the day, it may surprise us. A 2018 study executed at the University of Pennsylvania, reported that people who use Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram for a combined total of more than 30 minutes per day experience significantly more anxiety, depression, and fear of missing out and loneliness than their logged-off peers. And I'm guilty of that, spending more than 30 minutes. In fact, average social media has gone from more than 90 minutes, uh, from an average of 90 minutes a day in 2012 to 180 minutes last year. That's three hours a day that people spend on social media. You know what? Social media has become the wrong story to remember that begins to form our identity. In some ways, social media has become like this broken cistern of our day. It's the dirty toilet water that we are drinking from, forming things from the world, runoff from the world, rather than the living water of the living God. 
That's why spending regular time in God's word, especially in Psalms like Psalm 112, help us to remember where true life comes from and where blessing comes from. When we feed on the truth and the beauty and the life of God's word that reminds us of God's good character. We begin feeding on the story of God, which then begins to form our stories rather than feeding on our Instagram stories. When we remember God by walking in his ways, we're pushing the biggest and most important like button in the world that affirms who we are and our value and our worth. When we remember the Lord well, we find the blessing of God in our sense of security and identity. You know, we started off the message today sharing a story from our Vancouver friends, uh, Carmen, and, and her husband, John, also shared a story with us that I'm going to share with you uh, with his permission. You know, John most recently worked as a local director for a federal law enforcement agency in Canada. And after a long and successful career in this field, he suddenly found himself without a job. He didn't understand the rationale, and he asked with frustration, God, where are you? What are you doing? He was angry, he felt uh, disrespected and maligned because the accusations did not line up with the facts. Losing his job was unjust. But after processing the initial emotions, John also found himself asking that, that same question with tenderness and submission. Where are you, God, and what are you doing here? Because he remembered that God is the one who is in control. And in, he remembered that God is the one who gave him those opportunities. And in John's unplanned time away from work, he began to find new capacity to walk with God and to hear from him. And he shared about how God is bringing new opportunities and relationships that allow him to use his expertise and experience in ways that he had never imagined for himself. Remembering the Lord also enabled him to view his situation with this open hand rather than one of bitterness and anger. Remembering the Lord also helped him to see how God provided for his family's finances in ways that he never anticipated and also allowed him to spend time with his three children. Remembering the Lord helped John to see that his foundation for his identity and for his security was not merely bound up in his work. The blessing in remembering God through our days doesn't just benefit us, though. It's meant to spill over into the world around us. And there's this blessing that for, of others that happens when we remember God well. When we remember the Lord and we find ourselves shaped by him and his story rather than our own, we discover our true identity in Christ. And we find that blessing others is a natural side effect. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of this side effect through the lectionary readings this week. When we remember the Lord well, we find ourselves asking, where are you, Lord? Not only in ways that help us, but also we can ask, where are you, Lord? Where are you working? In ways to live generously towards those who are suffering, to extend hospitality and to bless others. When we remember God well, we become like God in his love in his kindness, and in his generosity. In Hebrews chapter 13, the passage from our lectionary readings, God's love at work in us is reflected in these good deeds. True love doesn't just feel, but true love acts. It acts in hospitality to a stranger. 
Like yesterday on a, on a group bike ride, I met some new friends and someone had uh, fallen and injured and broken her wrist and the whole team rallied together, strangers, and people were stopping to help one another. True love acts by remembering those in prison as if, those, as if you were together with them. In this morning's Washington Post, there was an article that says, that suicides in prison have been rising in recent years because of the increasing use of solitary confinement and other methods of uh, enforcement. True love acts in remembering those who are suffering as if you were suffering with them. Particularly, we remember this morning our neighbors in Texas who are mourning, uh, or mourning yet again as victims of another gun violence occasion. True love acts in all these ways, but also in, in honoring marriage, whether you're single or whether you're, you're, you're married. True love acts in being free from the love of money. True love acts in being content with what God has given to us. You see, these qualities don't just exist on their own as something to aspire to if you're educated enough or you're enlightened enough or if you're woke enough. The Christian story credits the living God as a source of all good things, admirable and admirable things. And this love and kindness and generosity is most faithfully imaged in our lives when we remember the Lord in our day-to-day lives. Because God remembers us who are strangers to him in our rebellion and in our ignorance, we can bear God's image in remembering the stranger and the prisoner and those who are suffering. Because God upheld the covenant of marriage in the creation account, we too can bear God's covenant, uh, image in honoring marriage and sexuality as God has intended for it. Because God has promised his steadfast love towards us, we don't have to look for security in our possessions, and we can be free from the love of money. And some of you are listening today and you may be following along so far and wondering, well, how do we actually remember God? Well, it's very simple. By looking to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, for Israelites in the Old Testament, they were waiting for God to show up in this one who is called the Messiah. In fact, our Jewish friends are still waiting for the Messiah to show up. But the Christian story is one that tells us that God has shown up. The Messiah has shown up. We, we sang God with us. God has come in the flesh to help all humanity to, to, bear, uh, to, fully, uh, to bear fully this image-bearing capacity in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus that we are saved from deadly forgetfulness, this, forget, for this forgetting of God's goodness, this forgetting of God's blessing. We are forgiven in Christ of, of, of the sin of living independently apart from the living God and trying to form our own cisterns of life, of identity, and of security. It's in Jesus that we experience true contentment and satisfaction that carries us through our deepest pains and into our future life. When we ask, where is God? It's in Jesus that we begin to see just how God has shown up and will continue to show up in our lives and in our world. 
In Jesus, we remember that God is faithful to his promises. In Jesus, we remember that God, we remember God's enduring love for us. In Jesus, we remember the source of blessing, but also how he is the example of how to live a life of blessing towards the world around us. Now, Jesus knew his disciples would be forgetful. And so he did something tangible for them to remember and for us to remember because we're really forgetful too. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and abandoned by his friends, he gathered them together for a meal, something tangible for them to help remember God's promises and God's faithfulness. And in a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity to share in this meal called the Lord's Supper after confession. It's in confession that we recognize the deadliness of our forgetfulness so that we can remember the blessing of forgiveness and life that Jesus offers, so that we can be strengthened to share the blessing of God in Jesus' name. Because of God's great love for us, our spiritual forgetfulness does not have to be deadly when we respond in faith to him. May we do so boldly and may we share generously in Jesus' name and for the glory of God. Amen.